Dan, you're up. <laughs> he got so lost in worship, he was forgot, forgot he was preaching. <laughs> Your Lord, I just want to thank you for Dan, Lord. I thank you for what a gift he is to, to the body of Jesus Christ, Lord, and to us as Josh Jen. And Father, I God, that even as he speaks your word, Lord, that it would be like a two-edged sword. May your Holy Spirit be upon him. May he know and feel the anointing of your presence as he brings your word to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Sure. Such a privilege to be here tonight sharing. Um, Yeah, I've kind of developed this reputation for crying and therefore making people cry. I guarantee you I'm going to cry. It's going to happen. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited for what this message and for you as a congregation and for what the Lord is speaking and saying to us. And as a church, I feel like there is something that God wants to put inside of us because of circumstance, because of life, because of what we're going through. And so tonight I want to preach about the power in pain. I want to, I want to highlight that there is power and everyone's like, okay, at this point I'm out. Thanks very much. See you next week. Um, yeah. And I want to, I want to share with us through a very messy, terrible, worse than Hollywood story out of the Bible where it's a mess and there's no moral examples and you can't leave here and tell your children to be like these people because it's this one married this one who had a child with this one and it's just, it's a mess and there's so much pain. But in the same result, out of it, it produces the Lion of Judah. And so, yeah, I want to start with this scripture. It's 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. I didn't give it to you. I only got it during worship. That's my disclaimer. Um, and so, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7. We, have, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. And this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. And one of the, the, the themes that I want to highlight throughout this evening is that there is pain. And, and Jesus promises, in this world, there will be troubles. And if you read your Bibles, you can, I can guarantee what you will find is pain and suffering and hardship and mess. And if you look at the world around us, I can guarantee you, you're going to find pain and suffering and mess. And if you look in your lives, unless you're doing really, really well, then I want to be your friend. There's pain and there's hardship. And the Lord wants to meet us in that tonight. And so tonight I want, I want to tell a story and then I'm going to read and then I'm going to tell it and read and I'm going to swap between the two. And it's probably a story that we don't teach on often, but it's the story of Rachel and Leah. And so what happens in the story is basically we've got this epic dude called Jacob, the deceiver. So literally, not just his nickname or his Instagram handle, it's who he is. He is Jacob, the deceiver. And so... He basically steals a birthright and a blessing from his brother, and he books it out of there. He's running away. His brother's chasing him down. He wants to kill him, and Jacob flees for his life. He runs off, and he finds his uncle, and it's a little, this is where the story starts to get dodged already. He meets his cousin and falls in love. Story already got dodged in our context, right? But... Um, And Jacob falls in love with Rachel. He sees her, and we're going to read how the Bible describes her. And immediately, Jacob is like, oh, oh, Rachel. And like, 
the beautiful skyline, and she's like, mm, frolicking with the sheep, and it's just like, ah, those beautiful stories, and how we would think about the story of Rachel and Leah, is like there's Jacob falls in love with Rachel, the love of his life, and so Laban says to him, well, listen, you can't work for free, you know, I want to pay you, what an incredible uncle, we all want a boss like that, you don't earn enough, I want to pay you more, okay, okay, I'm in, I'm in, I want this type of boss. I don't want to be that type of boss. I want that type of boss. I want to pay. What do you want? He's like, okay, okay. Tell you what. I'm in love with Rachel. Okay, cool. You work for me seven years and I will give you Rachel. And it's like, it's like a day just passes. I doubt it. And seven years just in the Bible, just seven years just don't appear. They just, and we get to the day of where Jacob comes and he claims. He's like, okay, listen. I'm not going to read the scripture because a little bit of younger people. I'm going to try and balance the PG rating on this preach because of the language that's used in the Bible. It is why we're reading out the NLT to make it even more kosher. <laughs> but bottom line is Jacob rocks up and he demands, hey, Laban, I've worked seven years. I want to marry this woman and I want to have babies. And J Laban's like, okay, fair is fair. You've worked your seven years Let's throw this wedding feast. And so they have this whole little bash. And um, what happens to the deceiver? He gets deceived. And I don't quite know. I don't think there was a lot of, maybe there was a lot of alcoholic fruit juice at this party. But at the end of the wedding feast, it says that Jacob goes back to his tent to consummate the marriage, to start the journey. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. That line, I have so many questions. How? <laughs> the next morning, Jacob wakes up. He's now married this woman. They've now settled that they married. And it's Leah. So the story about Rachel and Leah is that I wanted to see where the description of her is. So this is how the Bible would describe Rachel. She, the, uh, this is how it describes the two sisters. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. And now when there's a comparison, it, it paints a fuller picture. This is not about Leah's eyes. There was no sparkle in Leah's eyes. But Rachel had a beautiful figure and a lovely face. Basically, Leah didn't. That's the summary. And it's, it's funny, but I, I, you're going to see that this is, this is painful. Because not only that is that it says that Jacob didn't love her. And so Jacob is like, oh, you trickster, you tricked me, but I kind of get it. We're both deceivers. I get this. Laban's like, another, you finish your honeymoon, finish this week with your wife, and I'll give you the other wife that you want, but then you work for me another seven years. And that's what happens. And he gets Rachel, and Leah is just forgotten. And we're going to read the story about 
what happens from this point. But this is the backdrop to where I wanted to go to. And so what we find is that there is basically like the prom queen who's got it all, the figure, the face, the, probably the walk, the attitude, the speech. She's probably got it all. And Leah, all we know is doesn't. And she's in a marriage. Her, her dad has tricked someone to marry her. And now she finds herself in a relationship like in our marriage. My wife is quite the romantic. I'm terrible at it. And just that was painful enough. And I love her extremely. Like I, I'm besotted with my wife. And at times it's like, please be a little bit more romantic. And it can cause pain, even in our marriage. Can you imagine if the man that you're married to doesn't even love you? It's not like there's no sparks. It's like there's no hope of sparks. There's no love. There's your sister. And so the story starts. And that's where I want us to start. We're going to start in... Genesis 29, verse 31. And this is a messy story. I want to, just a disclaimer. If you're single, please do not model marriage around this. There is going to be other women. There's going to be a whole bunch of stuff. It gets weird. I don't know how to explain it all. It's in the Bible, and it's a great lesson for us to learn, actually. But this is where the story starts. And in the middle of, can you imagine this terrible marriage? This terrible like my wife loves peace in the home. She's like an Enneagram nine, which is like the peacemaker. She wants, if there's conflict, she's like, Argh. can you imagine the, the turmoil in the house already? And this is how it starts. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he enabled her to have children. But Rachel could not conceive. So Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son, and she named him Reuben. I want you to see the, this, the way people named their children in the Bible was so much more significant than the most amazing movie that they've seen, which kind of is where names came from at the moment. It's like if you, you can see, whenever there was a great mission impossible, there's a whole bunch of Ethans running around, like, or my brother, Joel, he got his name when Joel Skransky kicked a drop goal against the All Blacks. Like, my dad was like, if he kicks us, I'm going to name my son after him. The Bible was a lot more sentimental. After yesterday, there's a whole lot of Marnies that are going to be running around in Cape Town after this. But the name reflects something. And so this is what happens. And it says, so she gives birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, the Lord had no, has noticed my misery, and this is a painful line, and now my husband will love me. Do you see that God sees Leah's pain, and he even intervenes by giving her a child, and she can't see through her current needs, she can't see through her own pain, all she thinks is God's answer is the solution to what I think is the problem, which is my husband's love for me. And so often when we're in a difficult situation, it doesn't matter what good thing God does. We can't read it other than our situation. It's like we're struggling for work and somebody prophesies, 
I've got amazing plans for you. All you think to yourself is, I can't wait to get this job. It must be the job because I can't see further than my circumstance. It must be the job. It's exactly what Leah's approach to this is. It must be the marriage that God has had mercy and now he wants to fix the marriage. But no. Genesis 29 verse 33. And so Leah, she soon became pregnant again and gave birth to another son. She named him Simeon for she said, and notice she knows the Lord. She sees the Lord. She, she worships the Lord. We actually find out Rachel worships idols that she ends up stealing from her dad's house. The Lord heard that I was unloved and has given me another son. Then she became pregnant a third time. Uh, sorry, in the Lord, Simeon. Uh, then she became pregnant a third time and she gave birth to another son. She, he was named Levi, for she said, surely this time my husband will feel affection for me since I have given him three sons. It's like in Leah's life, there was just this, all she wanted was to, the success of that time was a family would have children and children would grow your influence. That, that, is your, that was the economy in the time, was children and livestock and the more boys you had, the more work that you could get done in the field, basically. And so, all Leah wants to do is to have that happy marriage and build that happy family. And surely now I've given him three sons. Surely he'll love me. But nothing. And time goes on and we don't know how long. There's not, I mean, we have the names and we have the categories of children being born. And then you're going to notice in the story something shifts in Leah and doesn't shift in Rachel. And that's the fourth child. And in Genesis 29 verse 35, it says, Once again, Leah became pregnant and gave birth to another son. But she named him Judah, for she said, Now I will praise the Lord. And she stopped having children. It was like in Leah, something happened at this point. Where the desire for her husband and fixing his situation and maybe I can earn his love or maybe, maybe she, now I will praise the Lord. And she names this child Judah. And she thanks the Lord for him. And it's incredible because you're going to watch from this point on in the story because we've only really read about Rach, Leah and her neglect and now we're going to find about the prom queen and her pain. And how even in this mess, God steps in. Because there's power and pain of what God wants to accomplish in your life. You know, sometimes we deal with people and it's like they feel a sense of rejection. This isn't Leah feeling a sense of rejection. This is rejection. She is unloved. This evening, if there's Rejection. Statistics would say that probably like 60% of us sitting here today in this battle with loneliness. Battle with feeling alone. Battle with a disconnection. Even in a church. Depression. And I want to tell you that there's power in the pain that you're in. The Lord wants to meet you. Genesis 30. 
when Rachel saw that she wasn't having any children for Jacob, she became jealous of her sister. So now the situation's heating up a little. She pleaded with Jacob, and this is quite dramatic. Give me children or I'll die. Wow. Then Jacob became furious with Rachel. Am I, the, this is the problem, king and queen. It's all falling apart. Rachel, who has everything, she's got it all compared to Leah, but she can't give children. And so Rachel's now in distress and she wants what Leah's got. I want to give, give me children. Jacob's response, furious with her. Am I God? He's the one who's kept you from having children. So then Rachel reacts. Okay, fine. Then take my maid. Now, this is where the story is like, whoa. It's funny, I've, I've done such a deep dive to find a legitimate explanation on why this was normal in culture, and, and it, it just wasn't. Like, oh no, it was, you know, you, sometimes guys are like, no, in ancient Hebrew culture, it was a thing. It wasn't. It wasn't a thing. This is in the beginning of it becoming a thing. This is why sometimes it became a thing, but it, it wasn't a thing. But grasping, willing to twist things out of shape and out of bent and, and break things that are not meant to be broken to get what I want. More. Take my maid, Bilha, and sleep with her. She will bear children for me. And through her, I can have a family too. Jacob, let's just say, not a great leader. Like, I mean, father of Israel for sure, but there's times in this, when I've been reading this over the last few weeks, I'm just like, Shh. his only contribution is like, and then she gave her servant, and Jacob slept with her, and then he slept with her, and then he slept, I'm just like, Jacob, can we pull the family together? <laughs> And he slept with her. She became pregnant and presented him with the son. Rachel named him Dan, not Daniel. Just a disclaimer. Dan, no. For she said, this, look, look at this attitude. For God has vindicated me. He has heard my request. I don't feel like God was very involved in this process. It felt like Rachel did a lot. He has heard my request and given me a son. Then Bilhah became pregnant again and gave Jacob a second son. And Rachel named him Naphtali, for she said, I have struggled hard with my sister. Hello. What is going on here? I have struggled hard with my sister and I'm winning. Maths. Not a gift there. I'm struggling to understand it's like four is to two. But I'm winning. Leah, I don't know where we went wrong here, but Leah, meanwhile, Leah realized that she wasn't getting pregnant anymore. So she took her servant Zilpah and gave her to Jacob as a wife. And Jacob, great leader. <laughs> Jacob just did what Jacob does. And soon Zilpah presented him with the son. Leah named him Gad, for she said, how fortunate am I? Her posture's changed. Have you noticed that the, she's not after her husband's affection anymore? She's not after 
the, the ideal marriage to be fixed. And actually, as, as far as scholars would say, they'd say like the reason why these women would give their servants to Jacob is because the whole concept was to become a nation. And so they understood that if they were barren, they still had a calling, that there was still a purpose to become a people. And so that's why there was just a whole bunch of servants becoming wives and surrogate parents. I don't know what's going on here. Then Zilpah gave Jacob a second son, and Leah named him Asher. For she said, what joy is mine, now the other women will celebrate with me. Have you noticed this massive shift inside of Leah? It's like she had this wound inside of her that was just longing for that one thing to be fixed all the time. And that was the one thing that was just never getting sorted out. And she turns to the Lord in it. And she's like, I'm, I'm going to stop that. Now I'm going to praise the Lord. And after that, what she names her children is happy and celebrate with me. And it's all these incredible names. But our dear Rachel. In Genesis 30 verse 22. There's a whole nother story that goes on about fighting over aphrodisiacs to sleep with your husband. And it's like, it's a part that I'm even just... We're not going to read that for now. We'll come back. In Genesis 30, verse 22. Can I just ask, in this situation, if you were an incredibly merciful, loving God, who, I mean, who is a God of order, and there is this mess happening in front of you, what would you do? I think as elders so often, we would, we would rather approach it from an angle of like, actually, guys, there's brokenness in this. And, you know, the, the answer is not to give you what you want. The answer is to help you what you need. But look at what the Lord does. Then God remembered Rachel's plight and answered her prayers by enabling her to have children. It's like in the middle of this absolute mess, God sees a woman who's broken and in pain and enables her to have children. She became pregnant and gave birth to a son. I can imagine that at this point, it, like, surely, surely the competition should be over. <laughs> like, okay, you've had a child. You were barren. Surely there's a turning point. But actually, read what happens. She became pregnant, gave birth to a son. God has removed my disgrace, she said. And she named him Joseph. For she said, may the Lord add yet another son. She wanted more. Like, what? This was a miracle. And there's a brokenness inside of Rachel that's just more. more. I'll, I'll twist to get what I need. I'll, I'll, I'll change things. I'll bring in other parties. I'll, I'll do what I need to get what I need. In this pain, God sees her and is like, I'm going to give you a child. And there comes Joseph. And from Joseph, her response is, can I have another? How often in our, in our situation, in our pain, in, our, in our what we're going through, God even gives us an answer. God even comes through for us in a way. God even speaks to us. And our response can so often be, but I want more. but I want more. 
But just to be saved and belong to a family should be enough. But I want more. I've seen this, I've seen this thing in my heart, in ministry. It's like, where are these abominations, sinners, not deserving of everything? And Jesus makes a way for us, and he, he saves us, and he brings us into a family. And then once we get in the family, we decide, like, oh, my word, it's so cool. There's things to do. And as Christians start to mature, it goes from, oh, there's amazing things to do to actually there's things I want to do. And then things actually, I, I want to be that. I want to I wanna, I wanna grasp. I, wanna, I want more. Like, Rachel, instead of actually just what God's given me is incredible, it's actually that I want more. I want more. I want more. So, I didn't give it to these guys, and I'm going to jump to it now. So, what happens after this is that um, the family are busy traveling. They eventually up and leave. A whole bunch happens in the process. They flee from Laban, who chases them, and Rachel steals a bunch of idols, and they're on their way out, and Rachel falls pregnant again, which is incredible. But Rachel, on the journey, on the way, falls pregnant. She actually, she's, she has this child on the side of the road. And as she does, the midwives come to her and say, don't distress, for you've got another son. But for Rachel, that's not enough. And so in her last dying breath, that child that she dies giving birth to, she curses. And she calls him... Benoni, Benoni, literally, Benoni, son of my sorrow, and she dies, and it takes Jacob actually stepping in and renaming the child, no, 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 you won't be son of my sorrow, you'll be Benjamin, son of my right hand, but it's an incredibly sad end to the story for Rachel, because what happens is, on the road to Bethlehem, Rachel's buried on the side of the road, alone. And she dies bitter, grasping at more, alone. And what's so strange is that if you carry on following the story, at the end of her life, when Leah dies, Jacob has her buried with his fathers and says to his kids, when I die, Bury me next to Leah, the wife that he didn't love. And it's this incredible story of how there is so much mess in the Old Testament. There's so much mess in our lives. But have you noticed how incredibly good God is in that he sees the pain in what we're going through and he still consistently intervenes. And he doesn't intervene even because it's what's going to be best for you. I mean, look at Rachel with the child. We thought that would have answered the problem. But actually the response is, what is our response when God meets us in our pain? Is our response to turn and, I'm going to thank you, Lord, regardless. Actually, Lord, this is enough for me. If I never have any more. If there's no more.
Rachel dies alone on the side of the road. Leah, who finds wholeness in her brokenness, actually. She actually comes to terms with her marriage. She actually comes to terms with her appearance. And she lives a happy life. Look at her children's names. Look at the, 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 the trend that followed her life. She gets buried next to the husband. And actually, out of that fourth child, that turning point in her life, in her pain where she turned and something changed, where she decided to bring God into her pain instead of trying to consistently plead with God to take it away or remove it or fix it, where she turned to God in her pain, comes the son Judah, who comes the tribe Judah, who comes the Lion of Judah. And it's almost like Jesus chose to come from a woman's brokenness in an unloved marriage where she was able to find God. And that's what he has for us. That's where he wants to come and meet you in your life. The, I don't know if you know the origin of um, the telegraph or Morse code, but um, Samuel Morse was the guy, he was a painter, and um, he was sent away to uh, another town to do a painting. And when he left, he got there. And when he arrived, he received a letter from home, from his father, saying that his wife had fallen ill and um, yeah, that she was sick and they weren't so sure about how things were looking. And, oh, she was pregnant and she had fallen sick. And so he wrote back a letter and they've got this letter and he wrote how he longs to be with her and see her again. But by the time he was writing the letter, she was already dead. And what happened was she was sick, she had the child, she had a heart attack and she died. And before the letter even arrived to him, informing him that his wife was sick in the first place, she was already dead. And so this painter completely changed his life around finding a way to, and he later on invented the telegraph, which is this little thing. It's the great-grandfather. <laughs> and now this device connects people to family all over the world all the time. But it came through somebody's brokenness that actually something incredible came. And the Bible is full of this. Count it all joy when you face trials of various kinds because it's going to produce something inside of your faith that's more precious than gold. And so there's power in pain. There's power in facing hardships and difficulties and going through struggles and wanting to quit and wanting to, Rachel's moment of, fix my problem or I'll die. Have you ever expressed that to the Lord? Just me. Definitely just me. I'm only that dramatic. I've had that. I no crying. The last three years of my life. We moved down from Joburg. We took over a congregation, and um, there was actually there was there was sin in my life, and. Um, and I got up and I repented and, um, and we were stepped down from leading but also from work. I had to go find work. 
And I remember that th within three months after that, misunderstand for, for some of you, it's like, hey, well, it's not that bad. Well, I've only ever done ministry. I didn't, I didn't have a, a CV to fall back on. It's, it's all I've done since I was 19. And I remember in those three months after that, I just wanted to die. And guys are like, hey, listen, your, who you are isn't, you know, you're a son. You're not a, you're not a pastor. You're not a preacher. You're a son. And I hear you. <laughs> but when you take away anything, all you've ever done, you don't know what you're left with. And I remember there were times that I felt like Rachel. God, you need to fix my problem or I'll die. And do you know what he didn't do? He didn't fix the problem. And it's been a journey for us. An incredible journey where God's actually done so much in Dan and Sam. And in our marriage and with our kids and with our children. And, but the pain. The shame that comes after that is like, then there were moments of just, I want out. I don't like, okay, cool. I've stepped down, I'm out, but then I'm, I'm out, out. Like, cheers. I didn't, I didn't feel like I belonged. I felt shamed every time I go anywhere. It was also so cool being able to share such a public platform, but that meant there was such a public shame. And there was just this ongoing reminder of pain wherever we went. And I, for me, I, I felt like I'd settled this. Eventually I got to this point where I was like, okay, God, I will, I believe in church and I believe in all that you've showed me, but I just never want to lead again because leading equals pain. And so I want to stay as far away from pain as possible. So I'm going to try and do the business thing and um, I will give anything excess that I have over and above my business to the church because I still believe in this stuff. And I remember uh, we, we were having dinner with Andrew and MC, and I was talking to them about 2022, and I was like, so what are you guys, what, you know, we were talking about what are our big plans for 2022, and I was, I was kind of like, I really just want to find the peace of God, like I want to live in that peace of God. And I'd run so far from anything, you can ask my wife, I'd become allergic to leadership. And Andrew turns to me and he says, oh, you're never going to find the peace of God in your life outside of ministry. Wow. And he said, because for you, it's what the Lord's made for you. But I knew for me, that's where the pain lay. That's where the hurt relationships were. That's where the reminder of pain was. That's where the reputation of, oh, there's that guy. You know, there's Dan. I had friends who jokingly called me Icarus. They're like the guy who flew too close to the sun and then crashed and burned. That's Dan. They asked friends. It was humorous at the time. Yeah, like Job's friends. And I'll and I tell you what, the reason is, is like, and, and now we're in this process of God is busy restoring and we've come back onto eldership. And, 
But something inside me, it's felt like a Leah experience. Something inside of me is very dead and very, very different. And, and the difference is like, this is a privilege. This family and belonging and the one another. There is no other way. There's no, there's no other option. You don't get to not be a part of this. If you want to serve Jesus, this is how it happens. You can't go off and be on your own and be like, okay, God, I want out of the body and I'll just do my thing on the side and me and Jesus. No, no, no. It doesn't work like that. And where people are is where pain is. Leaders step on your toes and hurt you. Well, if you're in leadership, you get stepped on and hurt. And it's people and it's messy and it's like Sarah and uh, Jacob and Rachel and what is going on there? You, you don't even understand or know at times. But there's something so clear. It's like when God saw Leah was unloved, he met her. And when God saw Rachel's plight, he met her. And maybe it's work or relationships or drama or in your walk with Jesus or in your family or maybe it's your finances have fallen to pieces and you have no idea how to get out of the hole. Or maybe inside your marriage, there's, you've lost hope. There's no more hope or your emotions or your business has gone under or there is pain around you. And I want to say that the Lord sees your pain and he wants to meet you in your pain. But the power that's in your pain is not so that you can overcome and have your victory. I wish that was my preach. It would have been, you would have been clapping and round of applausing. But there's a power in your pain that will enable you to turn to God and, and actually be saved. Because the pain is going to produce something inside of you that success never could. The pain of a marriage where you are consistently being molded will shape you like nothing else could shape you. The pain of being in leadership and having stepped down is going to shape you like leadership could never shape you. Two Corinthians four verse fifteen. But all of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be more thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. This is why we never give up. Even though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet these small troubles produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. Your present pain will produce something inside of you that will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles that we see now, but rather we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last forever. There is what God is doing inside of you through your circumstance, which is way more important than overcoming your circumstance. 
that dream job that you haven't gotten or that financial breakthrough or that big break or that recognition or that pat on the back or that relationship with the parent or that loss of a loved one. When people leave, it changes your life forever. In that pain of loss, God wants to meet with you. And in that loss, he wants you to turn to him and he'll use it for your good. We just close our eyes for a minute. Let me just meet with you. The the burden that I had coming to tonight was that I really felt that there are some people that have gone through stuff. And the message that was so clear in my heart is that the Lord sees you like he saw Leah, like he saw Rachel. And he hasn't left you. He's not leaving you. He hasn't forsaken you. But in the same breath, it doesn't feel like he's coming through. And that thing produces pain inside of you. It did in me. Maybe there's some of us that are just literally going through difficult circumstances at the moment. God sees you. And the encouragement that I wanted to give you is that He is in it. And there is power in what you're going through. And it will produce something inside of you if you turn to Him. And so I wanted to pray for us tonight. I want to, maybe if you want to respond with me, if, I, if you want to respond, I'd love to just pray with us. If you feel like you want to respond to God in your current circumstance of where you're at, could you just stand with me? I want to really just pray that he is going to come and meet with us tonight. And, and that maybe in our hearts, maybe your circumstance is not going to change in a moment. Actually, probably guaranteed. I wish I could change your circumstance but rather that your heart would shift in a moment and that you would look to the Lord and almost be like, God, in this pain, I turn to you. Like Leah with Judah, now I will praise the Lord. Like we practiced earlier in praise, and it was actually like, even in my difficulty, I'm going to praise the Lord. I'm going I'm to jump around. I'm gonna, whatever it is, because I want to turn to you, Lord. And so, Father, I want to come right now, and I want to pray, would you come by your grace and your mercy, and you see us. Almost felt like there's some people who feel like life is a little out of control, actually. It's on so many different fronts, and I feel like the Lord sees you, and he hasn't forgotten you. 
and it could feel so far from the perfect picture that it used to be. And he's got you right where he wants you because he wants to produce something inside of you that's going to be better. And so Holy Spirit, would you come and meet with us and encourage us, to infuse us with courage tonight to face what we're going through. God, we turn to you. 